The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 132. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position is wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story. Uh, and <laughs> I got it right this time. Woohoo! Unfortunately, I told folks that it was the fourth Doctor story, but it's a third Doctor story. Yeah. You, called... you just become unstuck in time. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's called Inferno. Uh, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well. A couple of bits of business just before we get started. Very quick, as I often ask you, please, please, please uh, write an iTunes review for us uh, if you can and share the podcast with your friends. Uh, that helps us grow the audience. And we're, we're always looking to grow this audience especially as we're getting closer and closer to another season of new Doctor Who. So there'll be more, more opportunity to talk about these new shows and more people will be interested. So we need to have a big audience going into that. Uh, one of the things about iTunes is that they're adding some things. They're changing it. It's gonna, they're going to call it the podcast, not iTunes anymore. But it's also they're adding things like auto transcripts and new categories. And just as an opportunity, they're shaking things up. So maybe that's our opportunity to kind of jump up into people's view. So if you write as a review, that helps with that, uh, certainly. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is, uh, and I mentioned this last time, I want to mention again, a little self-promotion here of the new podcast, Raising the Bets. It's a podcast I do with my wife, Melanie, where we talk about being a Catholic couple, raising a family outside of Boston here with our five kids. And so far, I don't know about you, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. <laughs> my wife is too. Uh, we we have our third episode is is out and uh, you know, we're, we're, we got a, a new episode about every week and we're doing lots of fun things and some interesting discussions. And, uh, I really want you to get to know Melanie because she's a very interesting person who has interesting things to say. That's one of the reasons I married her. Plus she's so good looking. And so <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I would encourage you to go to sqpn.com slash bets. That's two T's B E T T S and check it out. And, uh, I would greatly appreciate that. And if you give me some feedback on it, what do you think of it? All right. All the preliminaries done. Let's talk about. Uh, Inferno. It's is this a about the big tall building that catches fire and people are inside? It's about a big <laughs> it tall is... world that catches fire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it just occurred to me that you know in the 1970s we had the Towering Inferno, uh, a, a classic movie. It was is... a little after that. This it is. Yeah. This so this came out in June 1970. Mm -hmm. Seven episodes, um, with John Pertwee as mm -hmm. the third Doctor. This is the last story the last serial of this of his first season of the, this is the seventh season overall it's also the last one to feature as his companion liz shaw mm -hmm. uh, and and after this it's going to they're going to shake things up a little bit there's almost the season eight will be almost like a reboot of of the third doctor uh, i've heard it said 
So um, I've been looking forward to this one. I think Father Corey has too. This is uh, this is oh, one yeah. of my yeah, favorites this... from this period in the show. Same here. Same here. This is I. I was my first note I wrote down was one of my personal favorites from Pertwee. I've always enjoyed this one. Yeah, yeah. It, there's a lot to like, and well, well, let's get into what there is to like. Um, first, the premise: its unit is providing security at an experimental drilling project that's designed to penetrate the Earth's crust and release a previously unknown source of energy. This gas, Stallman's gas. Yeah. And yeah. and as we know from the underwater menace, penetrating the Earth's crust is a bad idea. <laughs> yes, it, it, it remains a bad idea. <laughs> only only for slightly different reasons this time. Instead of there's, I guess they're drilling on land, so they're not going to drain all the world's oceans into the Earth's crust, causing a steam explosion. They're actually yeah. releasing lava and primordial ooze that turns people into werewolves. Yeah, well, it's interesting that they keep going back to the idea of of going deep under the earth. We had this in the Silurian menace. We had this in the underwater menace, uh, or not the Silurian the menace, Silurians. the Silurians, mm-hmm. the underwater yeah. menace, and now again in Inferno. Well, it's, it's interesting too that this is actually based off of something that was fairly contemporary. Yes, the U.S. government was trying to uh, trying to do just this. They were trying to dig down into the underneath the crust of the earth project mohole and at the time <laughs> I love that it, name yeah i know <laughs> and at the time it was classified so i get according to tardis wikia um they tried to get a hold of uh the information on it and of course the u.s government's going yeah no we ain't telling you anything about that <laughs> even this though we're happening. not doing it anymore, how do you even know you. about this you know yeah. type yeah. of deal i love the name mohole if, if we've got a hole but this is more hole than that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, I think it. I think the name was derived from mole hole, like the yeah. burrowing animals' moles. Yep. Yes. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Yes, that's probably what it was. And actually, that was like one of the original titles for the script. The script was originally like a, a, either a three or a four parter that was just devoted to this drilling project. And I think that would have been a much yep. more boringer series than this turned out to be because yeah. what they did was they decided for financial or whatever reasons they needed to extend it to seven so they needed a b story to tack onto it and the b story turned out to be far more interesting and really elevate the whole serial um because what Mm -hmm. happens is before the near disaster happens on our earth which of course has to be stopped for dramatic reasons you can't blow up the earth that we're we've been following all these years it'll be the end of the series yeah, um, <laughs> they they for the first time in Doctor Who history show us a parallel world and the doctor gets to see mm-hmm. the disaster actually play out there and then come back to the regular Earth and use that knowledge to yep. stop it. Right. And and this parallel Earth of which is a sort of a mirror universe where the good people are evil, yeah. which is a, something that we saw in Star Trek in, in, in before this. Yeah. This is obviously the, the Doctor Who's mirror mirror episode. One thing that would be kind of interesting, though, I kind of wish they would have gone back somehow. I mean, obviously, Earth is gone, but the rest of the universe is there. And it would have been interesting to see what happened. If the Daleks after. were good. And- <laughs> I, I did yeah. some checking, and, um, and it turns out they have done more with the it, what's sometimes called the Inferno Earth. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like all been in prose. It's barely been mentioned okay. in any audio oh. stories. Um, so Big Finish hasn't like set a story in that universe yet. But it would be interesting if they did. I was wishing the same thing. And they could travel to before 1970 and to where the world still exists. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, you know, basically said the doctor says, I don't exist in this universe. I don't exist in this world. So 
you know, at a minimum, either the doctor never left Gallifrey, never visited Earth, that doctor, mm-hmm. yep. the doctor of, of that universe, uh, you know, that, that could have been interesting stories, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if he runs into a previous incarnation or a different uh, regeneration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that would be a very yeah. interesting story. I, they, they should get on that. Um, maybe the 13th Doctor should travel and run into the 12th Doctor and <laughs> bring Peter Capaldi back for that. <laughs> That would be an e- well. Would that be a good Peter Capaldi or evil? Never mind. Mm. So, <laughs> yeah. So another interesting uh, little bit of behind the scenes is the the character of Petra, who is uh, the assistant to the the doctor in charge of the drilling project, uh, was supposed to be originally played by Kate O'Mara, who mm. later on mm. will play the Ronnie. Yeah. Um, yep. So that would have been an interesting casting choice uh, because Kate O'Mara is such an interesting actress in the role oh, of yeah. the Ronnie. So, well, uh, she, and she certainly has background as a scientist working on evil plans. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, one one other bit of uh, behind the scenes, I want to mention it now so I don't forget it later because it's a funny thing. So what we have this mirror universe where there's the the evil counterparts to all the good people. And apparently in the the unlike Star Trek, where the evil people have mustaches and beards in this counter, uh, the parallel universe, the Inferno Earth. They have a lack of facial hair makes them evil, which I think is actually makes more sense. And uh, and they and have so, something in their eyes, whether it is an eye patch or sunglasses. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was inter- it was it was interesting. Some of the cosmetic differences. So the brigadier has an eye patch, but no mustache. He's also got yep. scarring. Um, yes. yep. He's got a scar over his eye and he's actually got a little scar under his nose, which may be why Nicholas uh, Courtney, the actor, grew the mustache in the first place. Yep. Right. Um, the, um, uh, the Professor Stallman is has no goatee. In he the, looks like him, a Bond villain. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He, but he's got <laughs> these little narrow sunglasses that make his eyes look squinty and evil. And yeah. all of the Liz scientists. Has dark hair. Oh, I was going to mention Liz is Short, shorter, dark hair. Yeah. 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 And um, and the scientists, instead of wearing rather contemporary clothes, like Petra is wearing a mini dress. Um, yeah. in in the good universe, uh, all of the scientists are wearing these like quasi military uniforms, except they're white, yeah, and, almost like narrow jackets or something yeah. like that. Whole weird sixties thing, yeah. Well, and of course the 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 facility isn't a, a research project; it's it's a basically a labor camp for scientists. Yeah, the scientists right. are locked Scient- in a labor camp, Scientific- and that's why they've got more of the military uniform type outfit, right? Yeah, right. they call it the doctor uh, calls it a sign or the brigadier brig, brigade leader yes. um, calls it a uh, a scientific labor camp. And uh, it's being run by the Republican security forces because Britain in this universe is a fascist state. Um, the royal family has all been shot and the Defense of the Republic Act of 1943 gives uh what would be unit, either Republican security forces, uh, control over a bunch of this stuff, including the slave labor they're using at this scientific labor mm-hmm. camp. And uh, so there's a scene in which uh, the evil Lethbridge Stewart uh, is he spins around in his chair to have this reveal of him without a mustache and with an eye patch. And when he did it during filming, apparently everyone on the set was wearing an eye patch mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> And, and so he was and they kept that in because he didn't crack a smile, didn't miss a beat. He kept going, which was awesome. <laughs> Apparently, 
Moffat wrote into the Wedding of River song yeah. scenes in which everyone was wearing an eye patch as a tribute to Nicholas Courtney, who had died that the, uh, that year. So oh, when funny. you watch that again, the the Wedding of River song, uh, remember that everyone has an eye patch in that episode because of that. So. And they have to because that's what lets them remember the silence. Yep. Yes, exactly. Um, and then uh, let's see. The, the the last bit is, is it's a small little bit, but it's the, this is the last story to feature the original TARDIS console from 1963, right. which will then be scrapped and rebuilt for uh, season eight. But it's it seems like like a lot of the things the BBC did at the time, not knowing that this show would have such a legacy right. if only they had saved it and put it aside to be yeah. a fan thing, you know. Well, but they did they did rebuild it eventually uh, for the Adventure in Space and Time. Uh, yes, they did. series or show uh so that that at least it's we have a recreation of it today right yeah yes a couple more uh little behind the scenes things um the I, I found it interesting the republican security forces uh oh by the way they have a, a symbol that's kind of it's not it's not it's kind of their equivalent of a swastika it's like one big arrow going up and two yep. smaller arrows going out to the sides so it's kind of sort of triangular diamond shape, but there's no bottom arrow. There's no arrow going yep. down. And that suggests to me that the Republic's ideology is up and out. So I, mm-hmm. I assume they're an expansionist right. uh, state. They're like establishing a new British Republican empire or something. Yeah. Um, yes. Also, they, they literally wear black hats uh, in mm-hmm. the Republican <laughs> security forces. They've got these little peaked military caps that are black and yep. have their symbol on them um and and literally wear brown shirts literally wear <laughs> brown shirts and uh also there's a scene in one of the parallel universe episodes where the doctor and a prime ward are like up on top of this tower it's like a water yep. tower or something and an somebody on the ground shoots the prime ward and we see him from the ground perspective fall off and yep. just this huge, enormous, impressive fall. That was the biggest fall for a TV show that had been filmed at the time. So it was kind of a new, you know, stunt level thing they were mm-hmm. doing. Wow. And also the actor who shoots the Primord is also the actor playing the Primord. <laughs> so he's shooting himself. <laughs> yes. They, they, I read something about how they, they, the guy was a day actor. And they got called back, and there was a confusion in the continuity about who's who and who had been who was, on, was supposed to be on the tower and who was on the ground. And so they ended up having him shoot himself. <laughs> that was, that's funny. Yeah, that was funny. Also, I found myself uh, wondering why can't we ever go to a parallel universe that's nice for once? You know, like where people yeah. are nicer. Because it wouldn't be an interesting story. <laughs> well, I think there could be ways to make it interesting, but it, a parallel universe where we're the evil universe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be interesting. So, uh, so let's talk about the story itself. So it's at this facility that's a sort of remote facility. It looks very industrial. They mm-hmm. they found some sort of industrial park to film this in. Uh, there's a nuclear reactor on site, which looks like a couple of oil tanks that <laughs> they climb yeah. around on. But it's a nuclear reactor. Those and are then cooling, high tech- t- cooling towers. Yeah, uh, that's what I meant yeah. to say was they were cooling towers for the nuclear uh, pile. And uh, they're drilling in this high tech drilling space. And then we have unit, like I said, is providing security. And then there's this doctor, Doctor Stallman. Oh. He's the head of of science. <laughs> yes, yeah, he's, he's very much a jerk. He's just he's a stereotypical <laughs> he just, arrogant professor. I mean, just always he always thinks he's right. No one else yeah. is 
knows anything. This leads to one of my criticisms of not just this series, which I actually enjoy, but a lot yeah. of early series, not and not just on Doctor Who. There's a certain kind of paint-by-numbers writing that mm-hmm. you get in this, where they're hyping the drama in in such predictable ways. If they're if people are in danger and they're trying to fix something, you get lots of do this now. I'm going as fast as I can and you're not helping. And it's just really right. predictable paint by numbers dialogue. And we have some of that in here, but also before the disaster happens, you have people who are just monomaniacally fixed on something of you must mm-hmm. do this or you must not do this. And they can't argue their positions. And a giveaway phrase, which we do hear in this one several times, is do as I say. Anytime you hear someone saying do as I say in the context yep. of a heated argument, it means I don't, I, the writer, do not have a logical comeback for that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> um, so the writers have not thought it through enough to have actual arguments that the characters can use. And so you get a lot of repetitious shouting uh, uh, with people being monomaniacally fixed and not thinking through a situation together. Yeah, Stallman does this throughout. In fact, Stallman is the one character, I would say, who's evil on yeah. both sides. He doesn't change much. <laughs> I mean, well, he's, he's very yeah, one he's, note. I mean, literally, it's do things yeah. my way. We've got to speed things up. We've got to get this. And of course, the reason why they got to speed up is because of the green goo we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But it's right. just keep go, 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 go. Don't argue with me. Just do what I tell you. And that's literally his He's entire overbearing. Note. Yeah. Overbearing, arrogant, impatient, and is always wants, always wants to ignore safety precautions or anything else uh, or, and anybody else's input. So, like, why is anybody else there even? You know, it's just it's it's it is kind of uh, tedious after a while. But that is that is that does play into the you know, the mirror universe, though, where they're they're basically the technicians are they're basically as slaves. Right. Right. So it's like Salman's more at home in the mirror universe. Yeah. So uh, so what the, we start with this this premise, which is maintenance gets called to fix an output pipe on a drilling rig. And the technician touches this green goo that's coming out and is affected. And he goes crazy, attacks someone, and kills them, and runs off. And that's that's sort of how we start things yeah. off here. He's, he, um, he becomes well, a like zombie, but he's not yet a werewolf. Yep. Right. Uh, and unit in the form of the the, the brigadier and you know Sergeant Benton and, and the others are we start off with them are looking for this guy. He's he's you know committed a murder, and now he's running around in the also can't the, find him. the wrench and now used the, to kill the guy is preternaturally hot. Yes. A, that is an important point, as, as uh, in everything around him is hot, and he, they seek heat. Although the the rubber handle on it somehow survived not melting off. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So the 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 uh, the doctor arrives, and um, there there's this interesting sort of out of left field dispute between the doctor and the brigadier over whether the doctor works for unit or not. You know, d- does he take orders from the brigadier? Or is he there of his own free will to help uh, uh, and can leave whenever he likes? There's an interesting, there's a you know a little bit of a, a conflict. Guess which side of that argument the doctor takes? Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I totally work for Guess you. I'm wins. under your orders. I'm, I can't leave of my own free will. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, right, right. 
Yeah, it's but it sort of comes out of left field. It's sort of a it's, it's a strange little argument there, but it's a setup for the fact that the, it's to remind the audience the doctor is continually tinkering with the TARDIS so he can get out of here. Yeah. He doesn't like being trapped on Earth. Right, right. Um, and in fact, the, that's what the doctor is doing in this location. I think he's there because not for the having to do with the drilling, but because it gives him access to a nuclear yeah, reactor yeah. that lets him do what we'll talk about in a second with his TARDIS console. Um, we have this oil drilling expert who shows up, um, and Sir Keith, who's the nominal head of this project over Dr. Stallman, but you know is, has no ability to control Stallman. He explains to this guy that they're using a robot drill with built-in power source fed by their own nuclear reactor 20 miles down. So this, so this is advanced technology. It's built-in power source that gets outside power. Yeah, well, exactly. they they explain the reason for that as because if you had a twenty mile long drill shaft, a drill, it would have inc- it would be subject to incredible tensions and would snap. Yeah, and so this is their yeah, solution. Right. It's not a twenty mile long drill. It's a twenty mile long cable connected to an independent yeah. drill, which actually is kind of kind of smart. Yeah, in fact, this is a real world problem. Is is drills even today? still require miles and miles of pipe exactly the further and that's and that's what is they limit to how deep uh, anyone can drill also notice notice how 1970s this is with stallman's gas a powerful new energy source it's like okay it's energy crisis that is so 1970s exactly yes uh, and then uh it's yeah it's more powerful than conventional gas and then stallman has this assistant named petra now this driller from kuwait this oil drilling expert named sutton uh, let me tell you, I, I'm not sensitive to politically correct stuff, but man, was was it stark contrast to the way things are today, the way he treated Petra right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, he start, he barely was in the room 30 seconds and he's hitting on her, trying to, trying to date her or whatever. But she's, she's hitting right back. I mean, she's defending yep. herself against this very effectively. She just shuts right. him down. And um, even though she's wearing a yeah. mean yeah. dress. Yeah. <laughs> and... And she she really stands up for herself. And what I liked is even though he is hitting on her, they they just had her stand up for herself without pointing to yeah. feminism right. in any way. She doesn't say, well, you're a male chauvinist pig and, and I'm a feminist. And we don't have any of that. She just stands up yeah. for herself like a human being. Yeah. And I yes. like that. Yes. Uh, and we have to admit that in the end, they, they do write it so that despite him being a boorish jerk <laughs> about in this way. They end up together, which is like, whatever. Okay, <laughs> I mean it's it is nineteen seventies. <laughs> well, they end up driving a driving in the same car together back to London. That's well, as much as we know. It's, yeah, implied. it's, it's, it's implied. It's implied they they're they're sweet on each other. So uh, I like the fact that the doctor says he's not wild about computers. Yeah, that he, he doesn't. Yeah, I know. Where does that come from? <laughs> well, I mean, when you think about it, what what were computers at the time? They were very primitive devices. That I mean, this computer I, they that were they literally had there, data collection and computation. That's l- all computers really did at that point. Right. They, they weren't interactive. And- yeah, I know. But that's Earth computers. He's from Gallifrey. He f- his TARDIS has to be just saturated with the things. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Uh, so the, the um, meanwhile, the, the Slocum is turning to some kind of hairy green wolfman creature. And uh, he, his meddling sends too much power to the TARDIS as the doctor activates it. So let me st- step aside for a second. So the TARDIS console we've est- is being established as this is what travels through time and space. Uh, apart from 
the TARDIS itself, right? In yep. essence, yeah, at least it can. If it has a power supply, it doesn't have its own power supply, but if it has a power supply, which ordinarily is the uh, Eye of Harmony, mm-hmm. um, yeah. it can travel. And here it's hooked up to a nuclear power plant. Why the doctor has taken the console out of the TARDIS shell, I don't know. But he's got it in this shed along with Bessie, and um, and he's working on it. And we actually see this happen later, much farther down the line, in the Matt Smith episode, The Doctor's Wife. Right. When the TARDIS's consciousness is inhabiting a woman's body, the doctor and the TARDIS have to build mm-hmm. a new TARDIS out of scrap uh, from like a TARDIS junkyard. And they basically get a console and put it on a platform and are able to travel with it. Yeah. And w- we saw this, the TARDIS console separate from the, the, the TARDIS itself in the previous story, the ambassadors of death, right? That's was the, the first time we saw that separated. I think that's was the first time. Hmm. So yeah, they've, the, so they've a sort of, because the doctor is stranded on earth, I, I think they're kind of, just playing with the idea of the car, the console itself as a par, as opposed to the TARDIS and the TARDIS set and dragging the blue box around. But we never see the blue box. Well, it's interesting, too, though, because the there is episodes where they talk about the TARDIS's engines. Yeah. And there was a Journey to the Center of the TARDIS, another Matt Smith episode, where they actually go into the engine room and the engine is in the process of being destroyed. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, you could you could probably do some you know headcanon of the. The console has the ability to do the travel, but the yeah. engines boost its ability to travel, or who knows. Right, right. You yeah. had candidate. So what happens, though, is because uh, Slocum is this, the maintenance guy turning into a monster, uh, he gets into the nuclear switching room because, you know, you just walk through the door into the nuclear switching room. Yeah. <laughs> and causes an overload of power to the console just as the doctor's activating it, and he gets stuck in some kind of limbo for a few minutes, and and then comes back. So this weird non-space thing that happens to him. Yeah. Uh, so then when he comes back, there's an emergency at the at the drill head itself from that same excess power issue. And um, they end up cornering uh, Slocum at the reactor. Slocum is killed. Uh, and then they find out he's radiating massive heat and that two others have been infected as well. And uh, one thing I want to point out is this, there's a scene where the doctor and the brigadier are on top of the cooling tower, so-called. Um, and apparently, John Pertwee was terrified mm. of heights. So if you watch this mm. scene, the scenes where he's up high, you can tell how brave he's being trying to act out. But he's got a death grip on the <laughs> railings as he's up there. I mean, mm. he, that, I got to give him credit for going through with it. But uh, he, he was he, he he sucked it up and. And, and 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 made the scene and went on. And there there are a lot of scenes of climbing ladders and going across catwalks and right. there's a lot of those. I don't ordinarily have fear of heights, but the first time I went to the Grand Canyon and went out on this lookout point they have there on the southern slope, it was like oh, yeah. so vast and so deep. I did totally grab on to the handle for dear life. I, uh, I did the, the railing. I did the same thing. I, I don't have a fear, fear of heights. I love flying. I fly in small planes. Mm-hmm. But the, I went to Paris in 1997 for World Youth Day. And my brother and I went to the top of the Eiffel Tower. We walked out onto the platform. Some guy stuck his arm through the railing with his camera, his video camera, pointing down. And I pictured... What would happen if he let go of the camera and how it would explode at the bottom? 
And suddenly that was it. I'm done. I'm, I stepped back, leaned against the wall <laughs> yeah. until my brother was ready to go. And that was that. <laughs> if, you, if you want even more fun, you could go to uh, Chicago, go to the formerly Sears Tower, now Willis, Will's Tower. Yes. And uh, they have in their observatory deck places where you can literally step out onto this glass. Mm-hmm. And it's just a glass box on the outside of the building. Yeah. Yep. And so you you look down and all you see is street no. way down there. Did you hear I what bo- happened this weekend? Yeah. Somebody Z- some stepped out. Cracked. It cracked under it their cracked. feet. <laughs> that that happens every once in a while. Yeah, not I'm not doing that. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of cool actually, but <laughs> Well, the cracking. Uh, I'm not a small man. Yeah, I'm cracking. just uh, not going to tempt fate. <laughs> yep. So, uh two guys were infected by Slocum before he died. Wyatt and Bromley, one's a scientist and one or technician and one's a uh, uh, uh the soldier, the, the soldier who ends up shooting himself later. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, we have Sir Keith who reveals the green goo that infected Slocum, and the doctor for some reason thinks it's related to Krakatoa, and yeah. reveals that I, it screams. Right. So the primoids make this noise, um, and and the somebody asked the doctor, "Have you ever heard anything like that before?" And he says, "Yes, I have at Krakatoa." So and what is Krakatoa? Oh, Krakatoa was a volcano that blew up in the 1800s and caused a global nuclear, a temporary global nuclear winter. Right. It, it was like winter in, yeah. in the middle of summer, you know, where it yeah. was snowed in yeah. places and that sort of thing. And yes. it inspired the novel Frankenstein, among other things, because uh, Mary Shelley and her husband and friends didn't have anything to do because <laughs> it was the year with no summer. And so they mm. were all holed up. And to pass the time, they told each other stories and she came up with Frankenstein. Oh, wow. <laughs> That is fun. So, uh, by, by the way, we should mention uh, yep. you guys have both mentioned the word primoid, and that word yeah. doesn't show up anywhere in the episode. Only right, in the but credits. it is yeah. in the script. Yeah, it was. It is the name of the creatures that's written in the script, but no one ever actually says the word primoid. That's true. That's true. And in fact, uh, they, they, it's apparently a creature that is a natural sh- uh, form is this green goo, but it can take control of people and and. Sh- shapeshift them, change them into creatures, uh, wolfman creatures in the case of humans that uh, they that it controls. So uh, interesting. So an interesting little alien creature. But you're right. Ne- nowhere does it actually give them that name. But by the way, I need to correct myself. Krakatoa it was 1800s, but it was the famous explosion was 1883. The earlier year without a summer in 1816 was caused by Mount Tambor. But both of them were Indonesian volcanoes that blew. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Twice in the in the nineteenth yeah. century. Uh so the the doctor's had enough of Stallman and he has this great moment in interchange. He says, Well, I'll tell you something that should be of vital interest to you, Professor. And Stallman says, Well, what? The doctor says, That you, sir, are a nitwit. <laughs> yeah. Out. I just I love the doctor and Stallman. The doctor and Stallman of this are just great because they're they're at each other so much. It's awesome. <laughs> it is great. So Stallman cuts the power to the doctor's experiment, uh, but Stallman has also discovered that he's turning green. Although slower than everybody else is turning green for some you know, infected yeah. by a prime ward. We have to up the uh, the drama. Um, but then it's like a rubber band. It's he's he's slowly, slowly, slowly progressing, and then snap, he's a wolf man almost instantly. Right. And then uh, Stallman is going, trying to sabotage the computer because the computer is saying, hey, th- what we're doing, what Stallman's doing is dangerous. We should stop. And Stallman doesn't want to listen to the computer. And so he's, so the doctor catches him sabotaging it. And then 
Stallman attacks the doctor, who then uses, for the first time ever, Venusian Aikido. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, paralyzes I like, him he uses it a few times and um during I, I, one particularly notable moment when he's in the parallel universe which he's about to get to he does what i can only refer to as the venusian three stooges chest poke um yep. he he yes. just makes a makes he holds makes a v for victory sign and just pokes a guy in the chest with it like the three <laughs> stooges would do to their eyes and the guy just collapses <laughs> it's it's the most effective of all uh, martial arts, apparently, uh, those Venusians. So the doctor, without even telling Liz, who's been assisting him, he sneakily turns the power back on, the nuclear power, to his uh, to the TARDIS console uh, to make another trial run. Um, but Stallman discovers it and switches it off again just as the doctor is dematerializing, along with Bessie for some reason. Yeah. Uh, this time, Bessie goes along. Bessie's the car. Uh, yeah, the doctor's old fashioned I, I, I could only think of because there are other things in the shed that are closer than Bessie. I can only <laughs> headcanon that by Bessie must have some kind of Time Lord technology that the TARDIS console is programmed to bring with. Yes. Uh, by the way, I, I am very much amused that the, the everyone is astounded at the doctor's invention of the garage door opening. I know, <laughs> I know right? Apparently Boy, it wasn't a thing in 1970, at least not in Britain. Yes. Boy, does Liz have so much fun playing with the garage door opener. I mean, she's just all over that thing. <laughs> it, it looks like a sonic screwdriver, and they hold it up, and it, the doors open, and then she holds it up, and the doors close again. I'm like, or oh, you could just open the door. Yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, it didn't seem like a very hard door to open, uh, yeah. so it was very, it was very amusing. Uh, and then uh, your Liz is all upset because the doctor's missing, and uh, she goes to the brigadier. Why aren't you worried about this? And the, the brigadier says, Professor Stallman seems determined to blow us all to kingdom come. The doctor has vanished into thin air, and I have a number of unsolved mysteries on my hands. I promise you, Miss Shaw, I am worried. And he does this all. I, I, I was, I, when I, my reading of that was much more agitated. The, he does it so evenly. It's so very British Reserve mm-hmm. as he does it. Well, very, I very am worried. Stoic, <laughs> very stoic, not just British Reserve, but very military discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless yes. of yeah. what you do, you do not overreact. You just you do not lose control. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I liked how. So Liz goes to Stallman and is like, we must have a nuclear power source reconnected at once to try to get the doctor back. And I'm going, yeah, pro nuclear power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the doctor wakes up in a parallel world. Uh, we know it's a parallel world because the shed that he, the, that was his workshop is now neat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh there is a there's a big brother poster on the wall a where the you know apparently the the dear leader of the this who's the are who, the who is actually like the doctor who visual effects director yes is that who yes. it was that's funny. yeah in honor who worked on yeah in, in honor you, of the fact that when they when the bbc television had done a um an adaptation of 1984 they used like the head of programming or something for uh big brother Yes. Yep. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. And, know, this, and uh, the slogan "Unity is Strength." Right. You know these 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 parallel world episodes. You know, like you know, Mirror Mirror and Star Trek. This one, you know, they make a lot of sense. You know, especially for a budget purpose. You know, because mm-hmm. you you basically use the same sets. Maybe you redecorate them a little bit. You move things around. Yeah. But you're using the same and sets, this- the same actors, the same locations. So you can film everything all at once. You just got to change a few things and keep going. Well, and the the actors love it. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, both both the actress who plays Liz and the uh, and, and Nicholas Courtney both said they had so much fun being evil versions of their characters. Mm-hmm. 
uh, that filming the good versions was boring yeah. after yeah. that. So, <laughs> incidentally, interestingly, even though uh, Carolyn Johns liked playing evil Liz, there is a moment right towards it's like right at the end of episode six where she shoots uh, the brigade leader Lethbridge mm-hmm. Stewart. And she was pregnant at the time. She's not can't be very far along, I would guess, you know, th- you know, maybe three or four months. Right. Um, but I guess her hormones were, you know, active at that time. And she just really had problems uh, shooting the brigadier. And so their solution was they didn't show it to us. They right. uh, show the brigadier in frame being shot, but we don't see who shoots him. And then when they change the angle. We see uh, Liz putting a gun back in its holster, right? But she right. couldn't on camera shoot him because actually pull pull the trigger of this this cap gun, basically. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I could. Yeah, I see that. So the doctor at this point is he running or he runs out and runs into uh, some you what he thinks are unit soldiers in strange uniforms and with strange shoes. I like the fact that they even changed the guns to be much more. Instead of the the guns that unit usually has, which were pretty typical mm-hmm. uh, lower end sort of typical infantry guns of the time, to higher end more martial assault type. I, I'm sorry, I used not assault type, but more higher end uh, weapons of the era. Well, they they looked more like M. They looked more like M ones. I mean, yeah. I didn't get a really good close look at them, but they looked more like the you know World War II era M ones right. than they did kind of the. The the pistols and things yeah. like that. They, they there was some used. attention to detail there. They also have a shoot first policy because as soon as the doctor starts driving Bessie around the compound, not realizing where he is, they start shooting. They don't even give him a halt. Who are you? Yeah. Yes. Uh, luckily, they are worse than Imperial stormtroopers with their accuracy <laughs> yeah. in shooting. <laughs> so and and apparently, uh, both Bromley and Wyatt were infected by the Primords here as well. So they're running around. Uh, then the doctor, after a lot of chasing, including you know hiding in a garbage can, uh, which was such a classic trope, uh, evil Liz Shaw captures the doctor and takes him to the evil brig. Here, Liz is not a scientist, but is a soldier of so- sorts. Security officer, um, she yep. says. She's the section leader. Section leader. And uh, he's not the brigadier. He's the Gade. brigade leader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget what, instead of sergeant, it's like. Yeah, Some it's long like under something. under Gruppenführer or something or other like yeah. that for Benton. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. There was a sort of Germanish construction to some of these titles, which you know, but in mm-hmm. English, which was fun. Um, I come from a parallel universe, the doctor says, and obviously he's trying to confuse us, brigade leader. Says Liz, that's a pretty dumb way to try to confuse them. Like if someone comes up to you and says, "I come from a parallel universe," I, I'm I know I'm not you know you know no one's buying it, so why would I even try? It just seems like a it would make me question things. Trying to play, trying to play is insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they <laughs> right. say that at one point. But the doctor fixes their computer in an emergency situation, and that gives right. them some cred. Although they think it, 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 it causes them to question: Is he a spy? Because at first, when he knows the computer is malfunctioning, they assume he's the saboteur that broke it, mm-hmm. and then he right. fixes it. And we have lots of back and forth about, of course, I'm not a spy. I just saved us all by fixing this thing. And eventually they, they imprison him, of course, and right next to a sleeping werewolf under a blanket. And yes. um, and then Liz is interrogating him. Oh, we, he also gets the third degree. And apparently shining a Literally. bright light in the face <laughs> of a Time Lord makes him totally weak and helpless. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then they put him in a cell next to a werewolf, and Liz is, although they don't know that yet, and Liz is uh, interrogating him some further, and she concludes that he's too conspicuous to be a spy, which, like, yeah. You think? <laughs> he doesn't right. look like he's driving he around like in he a in. here. He's driving around in a bright yellow car wearing, you know, Victorian style clothing and a cape. Okay. You know, you think yeah. maybe, <laughs> you know, I, I got a kick out of the interrogation scene because that's so stereotypical 1970s police drama. Yeah. But right. but she concludes, even though he's too conspicuous to be a spy, she thinks he may just be a crackpot for one of those free speech groups. Yeah. And and if he'll just fess up to that, then she can help get she can help him. It'll only be a few years in a labor camp. Well, that way. One of the things that convinced him that he's not a spy was also that they checked their records and he's not on the list of spies. And I'm thinking that seems really right. handy to have a list of foreign agents. <laughs> yeah, that would make counterintelligence really, really <laughs> uh, useful. Yeah, it's exactly. Really nice to have a list of all the foreign agents there are in your country yeah well this is kind of <laughs> right. you know kind of like the, you know the, the the central central database of like everybody who has ever existed you know I, I love the line though as the doctor is trying to convince them that you know he's not a spy and that they won't find him in that database he goes well i don't exist in your world brigade leader then you won't feel the bullets when we shoot you <laughs> yeah <laughs> so one of the things that was true in the parallel world is that the drilling is much more advanced uh presumably because in terms of the timetable in terms of the yep. timetable right but presumably because there is no one on that side who has the ability to stand up and say slow down to stallman yep. you know uh, we're we're going too fast uh it it i think it it's a nice subtle way of showing how this a fascist state sort of thing can go at a breakneck speed into and danger. destroy the world sooner and destroy yep. the world faster uh you know that, that, that i was i thought that was a nice Somewhat subtle bit of uh, writing there. Um, mm-hmm. So and then back in the the prime reality, though, Stallman is still convinced that we need to go at a breakneck pace. Um, uh, but in the, so we talked about the Wolfman in the cell next to the Doctor, and so uh, he eventually wakes up and uh, comes after the Doctor and bends the bars to get out of the Doctor, who sneaks out of the cell, mm-hmm. uh, you know, out of the door of the cell, and then closes it. Apparently the bars between cells is really are really soft, but the bars yeah. to get out of the cell must be really hard. <laughs> like someone didn't think that through very much. Uh, on no. that I, I like I like the way that you just were able to headcanon that because <laughs> to me this is like one of those moments. I don't know if you ever seen those see those screen rant pitch meetings with uh, Ryan, whatever his name is. Um, he plays both parts. He plays both a hopeful writer of movie yep. scripts and a movie executive. So he's talking to himself, pitching yeah. concepts for movies mm-hmm. that are a- out in the theaters or that have been out in the theaters, pointing out all of the plot foibles. It's like, <laughs> well, if he can bend the bars to get out of the cell, why doesn't he just bend the next set of bars to get out of the cell? Because then we then he, I'd have to have a chase sequence and we can't afford that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We don't have time for that. Keep him in the cell. So uh, the doctor sneaks back into the control room and warns them that if they break through the crust, they'll release the angry green goo all over the earth. Um, and it dead happens. Stallman attacks. Ooh, that's a great band name, Angry Green Goo. Angry Green Goo. It's a little hard to say, but, you know, mm-hmm. it should be better. because it's a, it's a yeah. punk band. So <laughs> so the, the uh, you know, Sutton and the doctor are at this point trying to cap the drill head. But Stallman, who's, again, turning into a primord, attacks them. and then. They they end up 
piercing the crust of the of the of the world. They and- achieve penetration zero, which is a mm-hmm. dramatic name that sounds really stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little, yeah, a little off. And they uh, th- now the world is going to end because they've yeah. released not just. Uh, I guess it's not just the green goo that's the problem is, but they've released all of the magma or something. Yeah. The interior yeah, we of have the earth. The pressures that are built up underneath. They basically created a new volcano is what they did. Yeah. But it's a volcano that's like on steroids and it's going to kill everyone in the world. Yes. It's, 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 yellow, it's, not it's just Yellowstone times volcano. three, apparently. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, Father, you have the... Uh, you have you have the be- the the best chance of of not knowing about it when it happens. Yeah, uh, going before yeah. it happens. Well, that, yeah, that's uh, for th- for those who don't know, Yellowstone is a super volcano. Yellowstone National Park here in the United States is a super volcano, and the theory is that when it goes off, we'll have another one of those you know nuclear winters, but it's supposed to be even bigger, yeah. and you know, like yeah. half of the United States will be wiped out, or at least will be decimated by the the ash clouds and everything. Yeah. Uh, if you want to see a really stupid movie version of that, watch 2012. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so yes. Inter- interestingly, I I found it interesting here that um that the doctor is helping the baddies, you know, for the right. common good. He is trying to save the Inferno Earth, and right. even if that means helping the baddies, and he just kind of falls into it naturally. And if you don't think about it, it's like it, you kind of you can kind of miss it. But I like the fact that yeah, he has no problem helping these people, even though they're evil versions of his regular friends. Right, right, because he the greater good, yes. And then when that is see, when that is lost, when when there is no way to save them, he decides, okay, you have to help me get back to my world to save them. Yeah, you know, because we have to. If we can't save your world, at least there's still time to save my world. Uh, but and the evil is, and the you, who's not so evil anymore, and Petra and 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 Sutton are on board with that. Yeah, they're but all, the they're evil all Brig, not so evil anymore. Yeah, well, the evil brig is still pretty evil. Well, I was gonna, yeah, I knew you were going to him. He's still pretty <laughs> yeah. evil. He's yeah. still pretty evil, and he he's like, no, if you have to take us with you, and the doctor says you can't. Like, if I bring you back, that creates some sort of cosmic know, catastrophe, is what he says. Yeah. And I'm like, why? You just came over to this universe. Why did that not create a cosmic catastrophe? You you owe us if you can bring people between universes. If you can bring one people with. A, a car and a this big <laughs> hunk of machinery over yep. into a universe why does adding uh three more people that's less than 600 pounds since two of them are women um why does an extra 600 pounds of atoms cause a cosmic <laughs> catastrophe i need at least a line to explain yeah that. i was gonna say i mean yeah. they could again you're know, going in headcan it could be like you know it's you know the idea of if you need an earlier yeah. version of yourself it causes all kinds of badness well, maybe it's the same kind of thing that if you meet a parallel universe version of yourself, it causes all kinds of badness. Sure. I mean, I'll take all of those. In fact, I think all of those have been used at other times in Doctor Who to explain it. This time it's but just, they didn't you can't it do here. it. Period. Yeah. So now Installman and the others who've been infected are all now Wolfmen yep. uh, who are with, trying to. With green faces. Uh, with green faces. Uh, now, back in oh, the prime world. And, and, they're, and they're vulnerable to fire extinguishers. For some reason, yes. the cold. Yes, they're, 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 those fire extinguishers on that base are really cold. Are fire extinguishers actually? I guess they kind of. Well, are, CO, but... they are CO two extinguishers. They would be cold. Yeah, they do get cold at, yeah, as the you, old as style. you well, use them. Yeah, yeah. Where it's yeah. not. Yes, it's not they, like they, the modern uh, where it's more the the chemical. I I learned this in 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 uh, in high school uh, chemistry. 
as gas expands, it, re- it lowers in temperature. Right. Just like the, the compressed air canister, when you spray it, it gets cold. Yep. So that's, I think that's what it is. Gas, it, I forget, there's some kind of Bohr's Law, something like that. Some, yep. some chemistry guy will send us uh, some feedback, please, uh, on that one. Uh, so I don't have to look it up. So <laughs> Sir Keith, uh, back in our world, Sir Keith, who went to London to go over Stallman's head and get the, the ministers, whichever government minister is in charge of drilling to the center of the earth, his approval to shut it down. Um, his idiot driver, uh, di- uh, who was obeying Stallman's order to keep Sir Keith driving around the countryside, uh, disobeys uh, not quite so green Stallman's orders and then crashes anyway by not paying attention to the road. <laughs> like, oh, oh, you're right, Sir Keith. I'm so wrong. Please don't punish me for having, you know, uh, betrayed you in favor of Sir Keith. Look at the road, you idiot! Yeah. And he crashes into, into something. Speaking of green hands, I suspect some green must have changed hands here, because why would Sir Keith's chauffeur take orders Obey from Stallman? Stallman? Yeah, mean, exactly. Like, I want you to keep driving him around forever. It's like, do you know what's going to happen when he catches me doing that? Yeah. I'm going to like, be fired. <laughs> why would I do that? Exactly. Can you make it worth my while? Yeah, I was, right. was going to say, because you think the driver would basically say, yeah, you might think you run this project, but I don't work for you, so I don't care what you think. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I work for go, go Go play with your so, drill head, and I'll do my job. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, back in the Inferno universe, uh, the attempt to fix the nuclear reactor switch oh, room, oh. the Petra has to rewire that. We, I should explain. Uh, speaking of green hands, so that's where Sir Keith was infected. He got some green goo on his hand, and he's Stallman. been wearing white cotton gloves to keep it hidden. I mean, Stallman right, was right. infected. And, yeah. and, Stallman, yes, yeah. 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 So, uh, so Petra is having to rewire the nuclear reactor switch room so that they can power the Doctor's TARDIS and get him out of there. That's the, the gear. And, and, and hold off the wolfmen who are attacking them. Um, and the first attempt to fix this fails, and Brave Sir Robin, I mean, the evil break, <laughs> runs away. Uh, yeah. uh, and so they, but they finally get it fixed, and they're all standing in the, in the workshop, and the brig, the evil break, confronts uh, the doctor, and it's, it's, it says, I'll shoot you if you don't take us. And it was, it's, it was uh, Liz, section leader Liz, or, who shoots him yeah. in order to, as we said before, in order to stop him and let the doctor go. And it's, they had this horrific end. The lava is flowing yeah. into the shop as the doctor disappears here. You know, I know. These characters who stayed behind are just got burned alive by lava. Yeah. Yes. And one thing, one thing I love is uh, as they're in the control room where, where Petra's trying to rewire re, uh, everything, re, the brigade leader's starting to freak out, and Liz just starts getting sarcastic to him, just starts mocking him. That's all right, brigade leader. Everything will be fine. Just keep bullying people around, you know. Just starts mocking yeah. them. It was great. That, mm-hmm. that was pretty good. So, of course, once the doctor gets back, it's not, I'm back and we have to stop everything because, you know, I just saw this dangerous thing. Nope, he's in a coma. Yep. Like, of course. Yeah. Uh, but he can but talk he, in his coma. <laughs> yes, because it's a Time Lord coma. And he conveys the solution to the crisis while talking in his coma. Um, and so it was an infinity of universes. So free will is uh, not an illusion. After all, the so pattern can yeah. be changed. Yes. And I kind of wondered if this moment, even if they didn't realize it, is sort of the moment where the doctor realizes time can be rewritten. Mm-hmm. Because up to this point in the series, the focus has always been on we can't change history. Yep. And, yeah. and later that shifts. And I kind of wonder if this moment resonates with that in some way. Could be. 
Interesting. That's an interesting. Kid. This could be a shift in the way that they view the doctor, how the doctor interacts with the world, the universe. Yeah. And, and then him. he gets up and starts irrationally smashing at a computer console with a wrench. I mean, a spanner. Yeah. Yeah. He goes nuts <laughs> on the console. I thought it was awesome. And then, uh, so, oh, Sir and says, the rubber band snaps, yeah. and and Professor Stallman becomes a werewolf suddenly. Well, this this is actually really fun because Sir Keith just got done saying, "Okay, we can't stop things because there's no proof of an emergency situation," and then suddenly the Stallman, the Beast, comes out as a wolf man. Like, I think that's proof of an emergency <laughs> yeah, exactly. situation. We should probably. Yeah. Stop he's also things. kind of like not really in charge of this project anymore now that he's a wolf man. Yes, I think that's pretty pretty clear. Um, and of course, they shut it down with seconds to go because that's how things. Ah, oh, but they have thirty-five uh, seconds to go. Yeah, which is nice. It, it didn't yes, get down into the single digits. Yes, it's not a Star Trek countdown. <laughs> it is <laughs> a Doctor Who one. And uh, and then there's this very strange, again, this strange conflict between the Doctor and Lethbridge Stewart, where he insults the Brigadier mm-hmm. and then takes off with the TARDIS console in a snit, and then ends up in a dumpster. <laughs> A rubbish tip, which is what we would call um, a landfill. Yep. Uh, oh, yes, about uh, like a couple hundred yards away. A dump. Uh, outside of his workshop. Yeah, a dump. And uh, and it's, it was this very strange, like out of, again, this out of nowhere conflict, which was very I weird. I know. It's so, it's so that they can then have the comedic reconciliation between the two of them and end the episode with... Uh, Carolyn John's laughing for the camera as her final appearance as Liz Shaw on yeah. the show. Right. That's true. He did. He did call him a pompous, self-opinionated yeah. idiot, uh, which was which. Uh, is there another way of being opinionated? But I you know, self-opinionated seems to be the way it to could go. be other opinionated, <laughs> I guess, like just slavishly devoted to someone else's opinions. Wow, that would be really. <laughs> rather yeah, look at what it did for the Manson family. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, and so then that's where we end up. Like as you said, we end up with uh, Liz, uh, her last appearance. And I, I have to say, I'm I'm sad to see Liz go. As companions go, I liked mm-hmm. I liked her. I thought she was a, a good uh, companion. Um, she stood up for herself. She was yep. very she was uh, more of an equal than some companions. Yes, uh, and so I enjoyed that. So and uh, so before we, I wanted to kind of mention where the third doctor goes after this, but anything you want to say about this story before we do that? Father, you first. Uh, just a small thing. Um, when Sutton first comes in and sees the, the drill head and everything, he talks about how they're going to wake up old Nick. Well, old Nick is a kind of a Britishism for Satan. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah. Right. Satan at the center of the world, which is he's at the center of one world, but not this mm-hmm. one, as we'll find out yep, later with the exactly. death doctor. Interesting. And then um, there's kind of another funny line where uh, after Sir Keith vanished, they didn't know where Sir Keith went in our universe, in the, the real world. Uh, the Brigadier says, people don't just vanish. Well, except the doctor who <laughs> yeah. previously you, just you've vanished. been around yes. the doctor a little too long to be saying that. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. I, I had a few. Um, I liked the. So after they achieved penetration zero on the Inferno Earth. It becomes incredibly hot outside, and they have this visual effect they use whenever they're outdoors. That is, it they've mm-hmm. they've like changed the color balance, so it's kind of it's brighter and it's redder, kind of orangey, and it's mm-hmm. sort of pixelated uh, to symbolize the heat. It's not 
fully pixelated, yeah. but yep. it, they've they've done something to the resolution, so it's it's not exactly blurrier, but you can it, it doesn't look normal. And I think it effectively conveys the mm-hmm. impression of really oppressive heat. Yeah. Um, I also like uh, they have once the primoids really go full, full werewolf, you have um, a lot of shots where the primoids are moving around and the actor playing a primoid. Uh, and sometimes there'll be several on screen at once, but the, one of them will like get a close up and, and, and leer menacingly at all the little <laughs> children in the audience hiding behind the sofa. And, <laughs> and that happens several times. I like that. Um, I liked the, uh, when, when we have the final disaster, uh, on the Inferno Earth, there are these huge explosions of like vol- actual real volcano stock footage and lava flowing and people mm-hmm. running and screaming in the soundtrack and although it's a little muffled yep. um but i thought it was a very effective end of the world kind of of montage um i also kind of had to laugh at one point because as they're trying to do stuff like repair the nuclear console uh they shake the camera and say ooh earthquakes it's getting nearer an earthquake is getting nearer? How would you possibly know that, even if it were true? Not stronger, but nearer. Right. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was... Oh, I was going to... I lost my point. All right, I'll we'll just move it on from that. So the, uh, the... Where does the series go from here? So with the third Doctor in Season 8, we have some interesting additions that are coming up, and I just wanted to mention... Joe Grant. Yes, we have uh, new new companions, Joe Grant. Uh, we also have our, in our next episode, which the next third Doctor one we talk about will be Terror of the Autons, which is the second uh, appearance of the Autons and the Nesting Consciousness, and the last time we'll see them until the first episode of New Who, which is uh, and we get Rose, the Master and the first appearance of the Master, which is going to be very interesting for me. To, yes. to see that I'm, I'm looking forward to that and he's he's the main villain in every episode of next season mm. we get to see a lot of different sides of roger delgado's master so that's that's i'm looking forward to that it'll be very interesting so before uh we go uh finish off i do have a little bit of feedback from a listener on our episode uh, uh 129 voyage of the damned which was the christmas episode uh featuring the spaceship titanic yeah, that was the Towering Inferno and the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Emma Croik uh, writes on Facebook, uh, I think I remember Missy saying something about blowing up Belgium 2 in Death in Heaven, where she was blowing up the presidential airplane. She said something like, blow up this plane and oh, what do I care? Belgium. Yeah, let's kill some Belgians. So, and so for some reason, they apparently don't like Belgians. <laughs> that, I think that's kind of a long running joke, because even going back to like Monty yeah. Python era. TV there in Britain there has always been Belgian jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be like uh, newfie jokes for Canadians. Uh, so uh, our Canadian uh, listeners will understand that. Uh, and she also said that reminded me of Time Crash, where Belgium is also mentioned. Yeah. in that. So the, yep. so we have these two minutes to Belgium. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so thank you very much, Emma. That that was a good uh, a good reference uh, to bring back to our our recall. So uh, before we finish up. We'd like to take a moment, as we do, to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including this week, Kim L., Laura M., Matthew B., Sailing L., and Amy Z. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who 
in all the shows we do at StarQuest. We are so very grateful. And if you have the opportunity, if you have the ability to help us continue, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of this third Doctor story called Inferno? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback there or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing a somewhat related story featuring the 10th Doctor and the 12th Doctor, not yet, called The Fires of Pompeii. We have more explosions from under the earth. <laughs> Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Well, thank you, Dom, and glad to be here. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, what did you expect? Some kind of space rocket with Batman at the controls? Right. This is going to be fun.